Trito Dogra. E Soyoto Amuno Noka. That guy's wise. Marvin, you sure? Do you understand anything they're saying? Oh, yes, Master Luke. Remember that I am fluent in over six million forms of... What are you telling them? Hello, I think. I could be mistaken. They're using a very primitive dialect, but I do believe they think I am some sort of god. Well, why don't you use your divine influence and get us out of this? I beg your pardon, General Solo, but that just wouldn't be proper. Proper? It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. Why, you... My mistake. It's an old friend of mine. Jago, jago, jago. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair. Get comfortable and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 512, Return of the Jedi, Act 2. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the little grade to my wicket, we've got Carl LeClaire. I'm the shaman, you're the silly one. Uh, yeah, that's very, very true. I am the silly one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man. Lo- looking, exci- I, looking excited. Ex- I am excited to continue our 40th anniversary love for Return of the Jedi, Jason. Yes. Absolutely. We are we're back to uh do the second act of Return of the Jedi as we we celebrate Return of the Jedi's 40th anniversary all month of May. Um obviously we're going to do uh act 3 next week and then as we've been telling you, we're going to talk about our favorite pieces of music from the Return of the Jedi soundtrack uh at the end of the month. So, yes. very very excited to round out uh this celebration. Um the end of the month so but we got some great stuff to talk about this week oh yeah and you know as you insinuated jason you know the last episode of the month will be devoted to all of the return of the jedi music and i you know just this past weekend you were fortunate enough to go and see star wars return of the jedi in concert uh down in tucson uh and i'm so excited i get to see that in just a little over a week myself here in boston and It'll be perfect timing at the end of the month to talk about our shared experiences as we dive into the music from the movie. Absolutely. And if you just uh, as a note, if any of you ever have your local symphony doing one of these Star Wars uh, at the symphony, Star Wars in concert shows, highly, highly, highly recommend you go and experience that. Uh, it's it's always been a fantastic Experience every time I've been so, uh, it definitely worth the time and money, um, 100%. Yeah, yeah, I cannot wait. Um, but we'll dive more into that in just a couple more weeks. Uh, Jason, we last week ended with Luke's uh 
trip to Dagobah, his conversation with Yoda and Obi-Wan. So we are going to pick up right away on board Home One in this Rebel briefing. And yes. uh, I I got to say, I love that the name of the capital ship is Home One. Uh, I just think it's really <laughs> on point because it's, uh, you know, it is, it's kind of home base. So let's call it Home One. Perfect. It, it makes perfect sense. Uh, and, and it's a great place to have all of our... Our heroes come back together uh, after they they went their separate ways, leaving Tatooine. So it's it's launching us into the finale of of this movie and the finale of this trilogy uh, as we basically kick off, you know, what uh, what is going to be a, a headlong rush to the end of this movie right about here. So we get a little yeah. bit of breathing room, but it kind of all kicks off here. Yeah, there, there's something about this mission briefing. It, it very much makes it feel like the end game is at stake here, right? The, they've mm-hmm. got the plans of the Death Star. They know the Emperor is on it. You know, complete this mission and, you know, the war is all but won. Uh, so it, it very much has that that big uh, climactic here we come to the finish line type stuff. Um, and you know, when, when Mon Mothma refers to, you know, having the plans, thanks to the Moth and spy network, uh, for any of my fellow shadows of the empire fans, this is of course a story that's in the novel where we get, we get the story of the Bothans stealing the plans and Luke is with them in the shadows of the empire novel. Now, obviously that is legends canon. It no longer is official canon, but I don't care. Uh, to me, that's still how it happened. <laughs> so uh, until there's a story that overwrites it, that's my canon. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, a reminder that the, the, the cost of this was high, um, that it, come at, it comes at a price in order, to, mm-hmm. in order to infiltrate the Death Star. Um, so, many, so many great moving parts here in this in – this, it's, it's very much an expositional scene, right? It's the setup right. to the end game. It's the, it's the setup to everything that's going to fall into place. But I think the biggest thing that stands out to me in this scene is Han volunteering. Uh, he is now enlisted in the rebellion. He's been given a general's commission, uh, and he's going to take the strike force down to Endor. And I think um, – and I think we talked, we touched on this briefly last week, Jason, with Act One. But Han and Leia just—they don't get a lot to do in this movie overall. It's—it's it's very much the the Vader and Luke story, which is fine. But unfortunately, Han and Leia kind of don't get a ton. But I will say, for Han, this scene is really big because it shows that he has bought into the rebellion. It's not just he's sticking around because of his, you know, his his love for Luke and Leia. But he's come to believe in the cause itself. And I think it pairs well with what's going on in Act One. You know, Leia going to Jabba's palace to rescue Han shows that she's not just obsessed with the rebellion anymore, but she actually cares about people. And I think kind of in a complimentary way, this is Han's kind of change in character arc is that he doesn't just care about people. He also has a cause to believe in now. And I really like that. That's what's going on for him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's definitely a good character shift for him, and uh, it's it's really rewarding to see him go from, you know, I'm not in it for your revolution. I'm in mm. it for the money in A New Hope to now he's definitely in it for the revolution, so to speak, uh, and not the money. <laughs> but uh, 
it's it, he's made a complete 180 there, but it's also done in a very humorous way. And I and I think I really like the way that this movie keeps things light, and especially in moments like this where the the mission is described, um, and it's you know sounds dangerous. And Leia leans over to Han. I wonder who they got to pull that off. And you know, immediately General Maydean is like, uh, General Solo has volunteered to lead the. Uh, you know, or General Solo is your strike team assembled. Uh, and the expression Leia is goes from sort of like a wow, this is crazy to I'm actually impressed as she sort of <laughs> leans back uh, to, to take on in almost in a in a not a totally new light, but in a uh, in a, a light that is different and surprising to her. Mm. Um, but it's it. It's a great little moment, I think. Uh, just the the little underpinning of humor that they they in that scene for all of it. So it's great. Yeah, and I, I I think something that almost adds to the depth of this scene is Rogue One. Um, and some of the comics have told the story of how right, like Rogue Squadron and, and Empire Strikes Back. In one of the comic books, it's it's revealed they name themselves Rogue Squadron in honor of the rogue one team. Um, so Han is probably also well aware of that story of, of what those rebels did to acquire those plans. And there's probably something about this strike teams trip to Endor that, that carries a similar, uh, threat to it, right. To the strike team as it did to the rogue one team. And yet Han is willing to take that on, which I think is really great. Um, and another thing I love about him is, you know, not only is Leia surprised, but so is Chewie. You know, he he's informed right. them that his his team's ready. He just doesn't have a command crew. And Chewie's the first to volunteer because, of course, he is. But I love that Han says it's going to be, you know, it's going to be rough, pale. I didn't want to speak for you. It's it, a, a great reminder of Han's relationship to Chewbacca is that, um, you know, he never expects Chewie to do anything. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a great tie back to, to the way their relationship is developed in, in solo the movie, right? That, um, you know, when Han agrees to go with Beckett after the train heist to, to confront mm-hmm. Dryden, he doesn't just assume Chewie's going to go. He asks him if he wants to go. So it's a, a continual reminder that Han's relationship with Chewie is not necessarily one of servitude. And that's, it's something that I, you know, the, the legends canon I think got a little wrong uh, by making this whole life debt thing as if Chewie is a lifelong servant to Han. I, I never sit, that never sat quite right with me. So I like, even in this moment, that's not the expectation is whatever Chewie's relationship to Han is. It's a free one. It's not one in which he is beholden to Han with anything. Um, Han doesn't speak for him. Chewie very much has self-determination. Yeah, absolutely. And and he chooses to continue to tie himself to Han uh in order to keep him safe. <laughs> uh, and uh and so we get the gang back together again. Uh Han, Chewie, Leia, oh, and Luke shows up. And uh we get the the briefest inkling that Luke and Leia are gonna have a, a more serious conversation when she kind of picks up on something uh, with him, which is interesting because, you know, he, he comes in grinning and ready to just, you know, charge into whatever it is that they, they have going on. Uh, and Leia still picks up on the unrest and the, uh, the emotions that are swirling 
in him after his recent conversation with Yoda and Obi-Wan. So, um, yeah, Haunt- it's a, it's a nice little glimpse as to what's going to happen. Luke drops a bookmark and it says, let's come back to that. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> Ask me again sometime. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, as they all do come together, it's this really tender little moment with, you know, our, our family coming together again. It's a reminder similar to what happened at the Sarlacc pit that when this group is together, everything's going to be okay. You know, that, that things will pan out for the better because they're together. Uh, but exciting is hardly what I would choose. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, we get this one very short scene between Han and Lando. And I think it's, it's an important scene because it has to address what happened in empire, right? Uh, Lando and uh, you know any any if you've ever watched an interview with Billy D Williams in regards to his character of Lando he often shares stories about you know between 1980 and 1983 if fans saw him in the streets people would be like you betrayed Han Solo right you know um, <laughs> right he kind of he kind of wore this weird guilt because of the events of Empire um but this scene is I th- it's important and it's explicitly put in there to show that Han has forgiven Lando. Um, and yeah. there's no better way to express that than saying, take my ship. You know, the Falcon is Han mm-hmm. Solo's home. You know, that is that is where he and Chewie belong. And for him to offer that up to Lando is a very explicit way of saying, I forgive you. Um, because Han and Lando yeah. aren't the type where they would have that kind of sentimental heart to heart where he's like, listen, I forgive you. It wasn't your fault. This is this says that without saying that. Right. Right. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and he means it, mm-hmm. but it's still difficult because he has that moment sitting in shuttle t- the shuttle titerium, uh, looking across the hangar at the Millennium Falcon. And he's like, I've just got this funny feeling like I'm not going to see her again. And you know, it shows, you know, it's still a very emotional thing. You know, he means what he said to Lando, but it's still, you know, he's still worried. Mm-hmm. Um but it is it definitely is it's a good scene and an important scene for everyone to say yeah no they're they're cool and mm. there's no hard feelings yeah uh and, and i like that you referenced that little moment there with han and leia where he's staring kind of out the cockpit kind of lost in this glaze of 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 anxious despair almost like got this funny feeling i'll never see her again uh, and Leia does something for Han that she's going to also do for Luke later on in the film, which we'll get to next week, is she brings him back, right? She brings him back to the moment. She brings him back to the to the family. You know, Han is sitting there in the sense of anxiety of like, oh, my God, what if I lose my home? Um, and Leia is saying, hey, come back to us. And he does because I think it's this really beautiful moment where – is Hans looking at the cockpit of the Falcon, right? That for so much of his life, that has been his home. But now he has a new home, regardless of if the Falcon comes back or not. He does have a home and it's seated around him right now. It's it's Leia, Luke and Chewie um, and the droids. And of course, Lando, too. So that would suck if Lando didn't come back. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, this is kind of his family. So I think it's this really beautiful, nuanced moment where Leia is recognizing kind of Han's fear of losing a huge part of his identity, but also trying to remind him that that what the Falcon represented to him is kind of changed for him now. He he has that in a new way, regardless of if the Falcon's in his possession or not. Um, and, right. uh, and I really like that a lot. Yeah. And, and Leia does that. Leia, Leia is very keyed in 
on the people that are important to her. And she, mm. she you see this consistently I mean, back to back in the scenes we've just talked about. She's keyed in to Luke's emotions uh, when he returns to them on home one. She's keyed in to Han's concerns right there before they take off. Uh, and she's constantly keyed in to everyone that matters to her. And uh, we, we see that continuously uh, throughout the trilogy, but definitely here in Return of the Jedi. So um, I think that's just something good to note. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, uh, I, we go from a loving yeah. family scene <laughs> to a very dysfunctional <laughs> relationship of the Emperor and Vader. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I love this little moment. I love every Emperor scene in this movie. They're so good. Um, yes. First off, like worth noting, the emperor is kind of a military tactical genius, right? He, he is the one setting up this trap, you know, send the fleet to the far side. So when their fleet shows up, they won't know what's coming, right? The emperor is, he's always one step ahead. There's, there's this, there's this awareness about him. Um, and the other thing I love in this little scene is, you know, his two aides there. I can never remember their names. Uh, I can't either. Shoot. I know. Sorry, all who are listening. I'm sure you're yelling them to us right now. Apologies. Um, but uh, all that to say, I've always seen this scene, especially in light of like the sequel trilogy and all the Exegol stuff, um, that Palpatine has always been dabbling in Sith magic and doing things that Vader's not even aware of. You know, he's, oh, yeah. he's clearly up to some diabolical plans. And uh, of course he is, because he's the emperor. Right. Absolutely. Now, it, I'm going to have to agree with you. Every scene the emperor is in in this movie is just gold. Um, Ian McDermott does, does a fantastic job in this movie. And so much so that to the point where every time I've watched this movie... And I've noticed this, especially the last few times I've watched the movie, uh, even you know most recently in the theater for the 40th anniversary and at the symphony. I can't help but basically quote everything he says with him to the movie. Like everything Palpatine says, I'm like, you know, send the fleet to the far side of Endor. Then it will stay until cold. And one thing I noticed, and this is just sort of an interesting technical aspect. Um, obviously, Ian McDermott is classically trained Shakespearean actor, but the Emperor speaks, you know, his dialogue, especially in this scene. It's 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 suited for it, but it almost seems like it has a poetic rhythm, something mm. like mm. Uh, you know that you would find in Shakespeare, which is iambic pentameter um, for few theater nerds uh but uh, it's not it's not specifically iambic pentameter but it has a rhythm to it and the way that he delivers the lines comes out in a in a very poetic uh, classical type rhythm uh which is and just an interesting thing i noticed this last time i saw it and i was like that's it, it's almost it's almost not musical but it's definitely a rhythmic mm-hmm. and uh i just I thought that was an interesting thing to note. Um, yeah, but but yes, he he's definitely been the mastermind of this whole plot. We have you know the rebels, you know, laying out their plans and the sacrifice that they had, um, and we're going to find out even you know later on uh, how involved 
the emperor was in in developing this trap and how far along uh how far back he was in developing this trap but he's definitely preparing for the rebels arrival and uh he seems to be quite confident in in how it's going to wrap up mm-hmm. yeah and uh i blows my mind that Ian McDermott is only 37 when they made this movie, which is <laughs> I know, right? That's, that's how old I am now. So, <laughs> so glad I'm not wrinkly. That was uh, a lot of makeup. <laughs> I, I, right. Very much. I, I'm 34 right now. I just turned 34 this past weekend. So, uh, yeah, that's crazy to think about. But, yeah, like, it's like, how? Yeah, the power of Put makeup. Put me under all right? that makeup, but yeah, I, could, yeah. I could do that, right? <laughs> Um, uh, and then you know we go into this great scene of of shuttle tidarium approaching endor and having to go through the picket line of of vader's ship um this is one of my favorite tense moments and jason we did an episode a while back uh with all of our favorite tense moments so that was episode 427 Mm -hmm. in case you want to go back and listen uh but it's this great little moment of of them trying to to breach the line and uh, something I re- this is another great Han Solo moment to me. Uh, yes, he is this very optimistic character. Come on, let's keep a little optimism. This is the Han Solo we met in the movie Solo. You know, I've got a really good feeling about this. Right, this that Han that we met kind of in his heyday, in his glory days, if you will, was this sort of optimistic character who just thought there was anything was possible. And Han is kind of found that part of himself again. I don't want to say he's returned to it because that would mean he's like reverted back to a younger version. I don't think he's reverted to something, but he's found something that was missing. Uh, And I think what he was ultimately missing was some sort of anchor. And he's got that anchor now with this found family of his, and he's found that optimism again. He's found that, that sensibility of which, yeah, this may look like we're running uphill, but listen, we're doing it together. We're going to be fine. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great point because uh, it does nicely tie in with Solo and, and the, the character of Han that we meet there. Uh, it is somewhat a return to form, a rediscovery, uh, a, an, an unearthing of this uh, this optimism, this you know happier, for lack of a better mm, word, yeah. Han Solo. Um and, you know, I think the being rescued from Carbonite uh, and having Han or having Luke, Leia, Lando and Chewie all come back for him uh, really had an impact. Um, and, you know, I, I, I would imagine here's here's some more of the Jason headcanon uh, mm-hmm. filling in the lines I would imagine the flight from Tatooine back to the rebel fleet was a quiet one for Han. Um, as he, you know, much like Luke had a very quiet flight back from Dagobah to the rebel fleet, Han had a quiet flight from Tatooine to the rebel fleet. Uh, as he kind of processes everything and all the sacrifices that these people had to make in order to rescue him and how much that means that they care about him and how does that change him uh 
in relation to them and and all of that stuff. And now we're we're seeing him live that out again. He's seems to be happier, more happy go lucky. Got a sense of humor. Well, he's always had a sense of humor, but this one's you know a bit a bit closer to the surface. Um, and it also you know inspires him to to fight for something bigger and to accept the family that fought for him. So it's, it's really great to see all of that. And, you know, my favorite part of this whole sequence as they're, they're getting past the picket line, as you put it, uh, is, you know, fly casual. It's my favorite line of this entire, <laughs> uh, this entire scene is, you know, we're, we've got everything tense. The, you know, Luke's back there saying, you know, I'm in danger of the mission. I shouldn't have come. Uh, Vader is reaching out in the force and contemplating what he wants to do with these and, you know, keep your distance to but don't look like you're trying to keep your distance. And Chewie's, you know, screams at him. How am I supposed to do that? You know, I don't know. Fly casual. And <laughs> it's, it's perfect. It's so perfect. The, the dialogue in this is, is great. So I love it. Yeah, it's great. Um, and, and of course it's, it's, it continues a theme that we got at the end of Empire Strikes Back of Vader and Luke being able to connect through the Force. Um, mm-hmm. Right, we see that when they're escaping Cloud City, Vader is communing with Luke, uh, and that's happening. It, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't happen directly, but Vader is very well aware that Luke is on that ship, and vice versa. Luke is well aware now that Vader's there. They mm-hmm. just play it coy, though, right? Vader's going to deal with it later. He's he's got his own plans about this. He wants them to get through. Um, but I just like that it's this continuation. And again, like in light of the sequel trilogy, right? I think this isn't, this is a, uh, a different version of what Kylo and Ray share when we get to last Jedi and then even more so in rise of Skywalker, right? The, the ability of the force to bind, to bind two people that they can commune over time and space. Uh, you know, Luke and Vader, I feel like my interpretation of it is, is they can speak to one another. They don't see each other. So Ray and Kylo yeah. kind of take it to the next level. They, that not only can they speak, but they can actually see each other. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah. I like that, that this idea of how the force works is, is kind of built a little bit more here in return of the Jedi. And then it's going to get built out even more in, in the sequels. Uh, this idea though, that when people are have share a connection in the force that you can, you can do things that uh, others cannot do. Right. And of course, this one is very clearly implied that it is based entirely on the fact that they are incredibly force sensitive father and son. You know, that's that's the connection that draws them together um, uh, across, you know, the force like this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, well, and then we finally get to go to Endor, Jason, and. Got to say real quick, has nothing to do directly with the movie, but our trip to, to the Northern Redwoods yes. uh, back in 2019. Um, gosh, I love everything on Endor even more now because of getting to be there uh, and specifically 100%. where they filmed the speeder bike chase. Right. That's that's one of the few places that you can actually visit because the majority of the scenes on Endor were filmed um, in, in a privately owned lot of woods that were logged shortly after the movie was made. So none of like, whenever people are like, I want to find where the bunker was, you're never going to because, and even if you found it, it wouldn't look 
like that anymore at all because it was all logged. Um, but one of the few places it's called uh, is it Chatham or Cheatham Chatham Grove, which is yeah Chatham Grove Chatham yeah. Grove, which is one of the places you and I went, Jason, um, and that. That big tree that Luke and Leia, fly, you know, fly under with their speeder bike. We stood on top of it. We played around yeah. it. We had a great time. Uh, and uh, for all of you listening, I'm going to be resharing our our little mockumentary that we made while we were out there a couple of years back. That'll yes. be on our social media this week. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, I we had so much fun filming that, and it it was a spur of the moment. We should do this. Uh, so <laughs> you know, it it's. It was so much fun. We came up for the concept of it in an afternoon uh, uh, while we're out walking in the woods and decided, yeah, we're going to just do this. And we filmed a bunch of things. And then uh, once we got back from the trip, I edited it all together and voila, uh, (laughs) complete with movie clips and music. And it's really, really fun. So hopefully you will all check that out. Uh, when we share it again on our social media, because we had a ton of fun doing it. And yes, every time I watch the movie, uh, it's like I was there. I was there. I was on that log. Um, so <laughs> it's it's great. So. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, you know, but they show up and immediately Han blunders into something because that's just what Han does. He just, hey, he's, it's me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what we're afraid of, Han. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I love how how in sync Luke and Leia are as they kind of respond to Han's blunder. You know, yes, um, he's tipped off the team, so Luke and Leia have to spring into action, and they are. They're just kind of so in sync as they uh, chase after the other speeders. And uh, another quick, just like nostalgic memory is uh, I always loved uh, in the Super Nintendo game Super Return of the Jedi. The level where you get to do the speeder bike chase. It's super fun. You can use your speeder to, to ram into the other speeder bikes and knock them into trees. It's just a really fun, fun game. I, I miss those old Super Nintendo games. They were so easy. You didn't have to figure out puzzles or anything. <laughs> you just went right. <laughs> <laughs> for for uh, very novice gamers like myself, that's ideal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, the speeder bike chase is super fun. It's, it's again, one of those moments, and this is... All of George Lucas's Star Wars films have have one big iconic scene where there's no music, right? Where John Williams takes a backseat to um, Ben Burt, ben Burt, right? So yep. Ben Burt gets to make all the sound and and do the speeder bike, and and it's just a tremendously fun uh, sequence. Yeah, absolutely, and it it works so well too. You know the the visuals, the sound effects, the the tension of, of it all, uh, it, it works great. And it's a incredibly memorable sequence uh, as they race through the trees on Endor. Uh, it, you know, it, it is iconic. And, you know, there's there's not much more you can... You, you can't deny that uh, at all. So, yeah. But um, uh, I, I want to say when... Um... When Wicket shows up, though, I think this this scene is great. Just one, we we get to meet the Ewoks, who are just super lovely. Um, but I think what's worth noting, and, and for me, is Leia's response to Wicket compared to some other characters' responses to native people on planets. Uh, Leia isn't threatened by Wicket. She doesn't see him as a waste of time, but she actually quickly comes to recognize maybe you can help me, right? Like you clearly know your way around this forest. This is your home turf. 
You could help me. You mm-hmm. could be an ally. And I just think that works really well when you think about how Qui-Gon responds to Jar Jar, right? Like he sees him as yeah. brainless. You see Luke's reaction to Yoda and Empire, right? Like he's just this worthless gnome in the swamp. But here you have Leia, a totally different character who who just kind of immediately recognizes the worth of every person she encounters, right? Like Leia's just better than Qui-Gon and Luke in that regard. <laughs> Yeah, she's, uh, you know, it also helps that, you know, Wicket isn't exactly the most threatening um, to her at the time. So, but yeah, she she immediately recognizes that, you know, this this could work, that, you know, plus she's lost. So, hey, I, I need help. Let's uh, let's work together, little buddy. And uh, they form a bond very, very quickly, uh, so much so that. When the scout troopers show up and try to take Leia out, uh, Wicket is immediately uh, willing to jump in and try to help her uh, and gives her the opening she needs to take out both scout troopers, which she does uh, flawlessly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, uh, and then I love this little scene between Vader and the Emperor. Again, it's just like a short little little inter- intersection here. Um, and, uh, if, if you've never, if any of you listening have never watched the deleted scene that immediately precedes this, where Vader goes to see the emperor, but right. He's been told to remain on the command ship. Um, so Vader shows up and Jared tries to stop Vader from going to see him and Vader force chokes him. And the the Royal Guards also spring into action. They pull their far, force pikes on Vader. Um, now, granted, that's all they do. They don't actually attack him. I mean, even if they had, Vader would have dispatched them pretty quickly, I imagine. Um, Probably. But all the same, it's this great little scene where uh, I don't think it's necessary in the movie, but it's a great little deleted scene, though, that just shows that the Emperor was pretty clear. He doesn't want to be interrupted by Vader at this point, and Vader shows up anyway. Uh, and I think what's illuminating about the scene is the fact that the Emperor doesn't know Luke was there. He doesn't know Luke has gone to Endor because there's one thing he – the Emperor who thinks he can see everything, there's one thing he is certainly completely ignorant and blind of and that's the sense of compassion or love that could exist between people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a bond between Luke and Vader, a father and son. There is a sense of compassion between both of them there. That the Emperor is completely oblivious to. I wouldn't say he's oblivious. Uh, He understands that sort of compassion and that love only in the sense of it being something he can take advantage of. Mm. Uh, He he knows it's there. He doesn't understand it. Um, And I think that's the... uh, That's what undoes him in the end really is he, he knows it like intellectually, he knows that that's, that's a thing between people and he knows enough about it to be able to take advantage of it and twist it in order to get people to react the way he wants them to react against each other um, or to put leverage and pressure on them to get them to do what he wants them to do. Uh, But he doesn't understand compassion and he doesn't understand love and the strength and the, the power that can come from that. Um, so uh, that's, that's I think, the distinction I would make. Sure. That's a great point. Um, because, of course, for the emperor, com- compassion in any way, shape, or form is just weakness. Right. You know, his compassion for you will be his undoing. He will come to you, and then you will bring him before me. 
you know, it's like, ah, that's it. That's, that's how we're going to do this. That's, you know, mm-hmm. wash my hands of it. That's, that's how this is going to be. It's going to be perfect. And I will get what I want because I always do. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, back to Endor. Our, our team gets captured by the Ewoks. Um, oh, because such, such a terrible, terrible scene. I can't imagine the emotional trauma that they have to endure uh, from this whole sequence. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I really enjoy how once the Ewoks show up, though, Luke's Im- immediate response is surrender our weapons, right? Like, let's not be a threat to them. Uh, and, and I think it's a nice way of indicating that Luke is a – He's grown up. He's grown into the role of a Jedi and Jedi are peacekeepers first and foremost. Um, and we see Luke throughout the rest of, well, throughout all of this movie, really, even all the way back to Jabba's palace, he always goes into situations trying to negotiate, trying to talk through things first, right? Violence for Luke is always a last resort. Uh, it, it, yeah. it shows that he's really stepped into that, that teaching Yoda gave him an empire of, you know, the Jedi uses the force for knowledge and defense. Right. And I, I stumbled across a clip of Sam Witwer on a podcast from, you know, may, maybe eight or nine years ago, something like that. Uh, so forgive me, I, I don't remember where it's from, but he was talking about this scene um, and some of the later scenes with, you know, in terms of the, the Ewoks and the Rebels. And he was like, this is, this is why Luke was on Endor is to help forge this connection because he met Yoda and had to get over his, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, prejudice against Mm -hmm. people that, you know, might not appear powerful, Um, you know, and he, you know, he learned from Yoda, this short, unassuming, you know, being who ended up being the most powerful Jedi currently living. Uh, now he's on Endor, and there's this tribe of short, fuzzy teddy bears um, that have just captured them <laughs> in a food trap, um, of all things. Uh, and instead of just being like, you know, trying to blow them off and you know, saying, oh, they just need to get out of our way so we can do what we need to do. He's like, no, let, let's play this out. Let's see where it goes. And the respect and the uh, understanding of all that is a direct, you know, according to Sam Witwer is a direct, uh, you know, living out of, of what he learned in interacting and dealing with Yoda. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, in this particular moment, Han is very dismissive of the Ewoks, right? Kind of in, in uh, contrast to Luke, where Luke does see them as, as possible allies or or an opportunity to, to form a bond, as you said. Um, I think Han just sees them as little teddy bears, <laughs> and they're annoying, right. and they're in the way. And I think that part of that is true just because that's Han Solo. But I think also part of it tr- is true is because Han is also a little stressed out right now. He They can't find Leia, right? I think right. that's that's worth noting as well is that there's this anxiety of, you know, this is just getting in the way of them finding Leia and then completing right. the mission, right? Like this is something they just don't have time for. Exactly, exactly. Han is, is single-minded focused uh, right now on getting Leia back. Obviously, he sent the rest of the squad ahead 
so he doesn't have to think about them right now. They're they're already in place. They don't have to worry about the the, the squad until tomorrow. Uh, everything about today is finding Leia, and and these little annoying fuzzy creatures are just getting in the way of him making sure Leia is safe. And and that's he 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 doesn't have as you said he doesn't have time for that he he has to get moving along and of course when three po is like I couldn't you know it's against my programming to impersonate a deity uh, he snaps just a little bit mm-hmm. and uh, has to has to uh, be calmed by force shall we say uh, in the form of a bunch of little stone spears in his up his nose practically um, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to reference something really quick for anybody who, who really enjoys Ewok stories. There's a really great comic. Again, it's considered Legends Canon at this, part, at this point. It was a Dark Horse comic called Shadows of Endor. And it's a story that ties in the cartoon of Ewoks, which I love that cartoon. Um, so it's all the characters from the cartoon. But part of what's important, and it leads right up to Return of the Jedi, uh, but part of it as well as we see Logre talking to Tebow, who's his apprentice, about uh, a golden god who will come to kind of rescue them. Uh, that is referenced in this Shadows of Endor comic book. So if you <laughs> if you, if you love Ewok stories, it's it's a very short little graphic novel. It's super fun. I would recommend picking that up if you can. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, and as an Ewok enthusiast, I I, I certainly enjoyed it. Um, and. <laughs> Speaking of Ewoks, right, as we are then brought into their home of Bright Tree Village, uh, I just want to know how awesome it is to just get the story of the Ewoks, to get it, you know, this little side adventure with the Ewoks. It's interesting because to some degree, it really, in some ways, I almost feel like interrupts the flow of Return of the Jedi, right? We get this kind of 15 to 20 minute pause of them like encountering these, you know, these furballs and and having an, an interaction with them. But the reason I really love it is because it just showcases George Lucas's love for creating uh, alien cultures um, and really letting you feel like you're living in the world. Again, I think that's something that a lot of modern Star Wars just is is kind of missing. Um, and I think that was something George was very committed to. And the fact that the Ewoks are named after um, a Native American uh, group that lived in the Northern Redwoods before white settlers drove them out. And it was uh, a tribe called the Miwoks, um, but George renamed them the Ewoks. Uh, so it's just really cool that George, not only is he honoring uh, like where this particular group is inspired from, from our own our own world, but also wants to build out this sense of a, of a rich indigenous culture within the story of Star Wars. I, I just... I think George is just awesome for that. Yeah, world building as as we have talked about in especially in terms of the prequels and Attack of the Clones in particular, uh, world building is something that George Lucas uh, excels at and seems to really thrive in doing. Uh so uh, I I definitely agree. Um but you know, it, and it's great to have this sort of uh this pause um ultimately because of just how frenetic and fast-paced, the end of the movie will be. Um, mm. So it, we need to have this this time and this period to let everybody breathe and let everybody have a chance to interact with each other. <laughs> because 
due to the nature of the story, there's not really going to be time for that, uh, you know, as we wrap up the last, you know, battle of this movie. So uh, this is this is the period where everyone is able to have the heart to hearts that they need. And the fact that it's, you know, set against the backdrop of uh, a treehouse village uh, <laughs> in the tops of the redwoods is is just icing on the cake for me. Um, yeah, I do love the the whole you know sequence of three PO using his magic, quote unquote, uh, as as Luke uh, helps to to bring about the the desired uh, goal of, of ever getting everyone free and everyone on the same page with the Ewoks uh, by, by using the force in this way. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, Anakin might say, you know, if master Obi-Wan got me doing this, he'd be very grumpy. Um, <laughs> you know, well, but uh, I love that you highlight that because I actually think it ties in really well to a moment from Phantom Menace, which is Qui-Gon kind of using the force on boss Nass to speed things along. Right. I think yes. once Leia shows up, there's this sense of relief of like, Oh gosh, thank goodness we found her. <laughs> right. Um, right. And then I think like Luke kind of just goes into, all right, let's speed things along here a bit. Like we'll play with their expectations a bit. And I think there's a certain respect for it, but at the same time, um, it's, it's just, it's understanding that we need to get things going. Uh, and I, yes. I just see that super akin to what Qui-Gon does, right? Like he he and Obi-Wan state their case to Boss Nass. Boss Nass clearly is not going to help out with the Naboo. So Qui-Gon's just like, screw it. I'm just going to use the force to get us out of here, right? Like I'm not going to use the force to coerce them into helping, but I will use the force to speed things along so we can move on with our mission. And I think that's what's important with Luke. Luke also doesn't use the force to, I mean, there's a slight bit of coercion there to make them think that 3PO is in fact a god. Um, but it's not like he's using the force to manipulate them into joining forces. It's just to kind of speed no. things along so that, like you said, they can be freed and, and, and move forward with whatever the next steps are. But I think what's kind of lovely about it is then they put their, the fate of this mission in 3PO's hands to tell their story. Right. Which is, you know, which is what convinces the Ewoks. It's not, you know, Luke doesn't use the force to coerce anybody to join, but it's their story and the the adventures and the journey that they've all been on that ends up, you know, turning the tide and convincing the Ewoks to join. Um, and I can't remember if it's a Legends uh, thing or just something that uh, one of the creators was saying, but basically um, it, it might have... My understanding is that the Ewoks uh, wanted to be part of this this grand adventure, and it, it was such a, a an inspiring, exciting adventure that they wanted to be part of it, and that's a big part of why they decided to join the Rebels to fight against the Empire. Is that they wanted to be part of the story, uh, which is uh, you know a, a wonderful thing, uh, but also of course it, it helps them kick the Empire out of their backyard. <laughs> too so that's uh that's also a good thing um but yeah yes, I, I love i love this scene so much because it does give us a nice little recap to kind of just remind us where we've been what we've done and uh you know not only is it just 
fun to listen to 3PO tell the story the way he does with the sound effects and everything. Uh, but it's great to have John Williams uh, play the themes and the music as if it's 3PO is being accompanied by, you know, some Ewoks just off camera. So <laughs> in, in all of this. So it's, it's really nice to have all these themes woven together on top of each other uh, in the way that they are in this scene. It's a beautiful, beautiful scene. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, yeah. And, and I don't, don't really have anything else to say because you, you kind of nailed it all. Um, right. It is by 3PO telling the story, the Ewoks, like you said, decide they want to be part of this as well. Um, and I think even just, you know, rewind 40 years to when Return of the Jedi came out, you know, the world was a different place. You didn't have easy access to the other movies. So it was kind of this nice right. moment, even for the audience, to just kind of be reminded of what our heroes have come through. Um, yeah. And then we as the audience kind of get to be the Ewoks and get to say, like, yeah, I want to join that fight. I want to be part of this rebellion. <clears throat> Absolutely. It, I mean, it's what every kid leaving the movie theater wanted to do afterwards is like, yes, I'm going to join. I'm going to join them and defeat the empire. So, uh, it's definitely what I did when I left the movie theater. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, and then we finally get that, that bookmark from earlier where, uh, you know, ask me again sometime. Well, she's about to, uh, Leia, Mm -hmm. you know, and Luke have this really important, uh, heart to heart moment talking about their their family history and uh you know my head canon for years has been because it, it this is a reminder that george lucas is not perfect <laughs> um but the way he he chose to end revenge of the sith with padme dying and having literally no encounters with luke or leia the most profound one if you could even say is luke because she actually touches luke <laughs> um and yet leia has memories of her so my head canon has always been that Leia knows something about Padme because she grew up with Bale and Breha, who mm-hmm. knew Padme intimately, probably told Leia stories. Now, granted, with the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, you know, a 10-year-old Leia clearly has no idea who her parents are. Um, and she knows that Obi-Wan knows, so Obi-Wan gives her that, you know, it's that beautiful little scene in the last episode where he says, you know, all these character traits about Padme and Anakin and how he sees he sees both of them in Leia. Um, up to that point, clearly Bale and Breha haven't said much, <laughs> if anything, but maybe afterwards they start to share some things after that, that experience with Obi-Wan, they, they start to share a little bit more with her. Um, but all that to say, it's just George Lucas writing himself into a corner poorly, <laughs> I think yeah. more than anything else. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, I don't care. Um, no, I, it's, you know, these movies are supposed to be fun. They're not supposed to be perfect. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of these things where we can fudge the the details just a little bit. This is, you know, the important thing is that Leia has a sense of who, who their mother was while Luke does not. Um, yeah. The specifics of the details don't really matter. Um, it's a fairy tale. It's a mythology. It's, it's a grand, uh, story. It's a, fantasy story set in space you know the 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 important thing is that leia has some sense of who their mother was while luke doesn't and and that's how luke kind of 
opens this conversation. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I don't know. And he now will be able to get a better sense and even a name and a face after this, you know, cause Leia, you know, like you said, obviously knows. And, you know, little Leia in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show knows she's adopted. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's made very clear. Mm-hmm. She knows she's adopted. Um, and you're probably right. After, after that show, uh, ends it, chronologically, that's probably when Breha and Bale give her some of the details. And I always had the, the idea that since Leia is force sensitive, she might have some residual emotional ties through the force to Padme that mm. sort of uh, make themselves. That's how this is how I, my brain <laughs> rationalized all of this. Uh, and that when she finally put all the pieces together, those senses that she had had um, about this, this, you know, kind, beautiful, sad woman all came together. Um, and, and that's how she tells Luke this now. Um, but that's just how I <laughs> rationalized it to myself. So, yeah. But. Uh, well, and I think <clears throat> something else I really appreciate about the scene is, this is where we get Luke's kind of resolve and conviction that he's going to step into this experience with his father, hoping to save him, hoping to redeem him, right? He, he firmly believes that there is still good in his father and he's going to go and try to bring that out of him and understands what that could potentially cost him. Uh, because he says to Leia, you know, in case I don't make it back, here's some things I need you to know. I need you to know you're my sister. I need you to know you're you also have the force, um, and you know the sto- the story will continue on through you. Uh, and I, I kind of see this scene in a way as Luke's kind of Garden of Gethsemane, if you will. Right, this mm. is the night before you know potentially going to death. You know, Luke doesn't know what's going to come out of this, and that's that's really what the Garden of Gethsemane story really is. Is Jesus knows things are about to get really, really drastic, and he's kind of nervous and wants to make sure that he's not alone in it. And I think that's what's kind of going on for Luke is he doesn't want to go into this alone. So he's telling Leia all these truths so that she will have them if he doesn't come back. Because Luke understands that he's going to put himself in harm's way with this conviction and this faith that his father can come back. But he also doesn't know that that could, but he also knows that that may not happen and that he may not come back as a result. Right. You know, he he has the conviction of his beliefs and what he has to do. But it's, you know, he's still walking into the Death Star. Yeah. With Darth Vader and the Emperor. There's no guarantee you walk out of that. In fact, it's highly likely that you don't. So he does have, you know, this is his last chance to to get all of this off his chest. And it's a lot for Leia. Uh and he understands that he he definitely does his best to to give it to her as gently as possible but it's it is just a lot to have to dump on somebody and then say hopefully i see you again and we can talk about it more later mm-hmm. <laughs> you know essentially yeah. <laughs> um yeah which is which is a lot of why you know 
he leaves and Leia's just kind of overwhelmed there when Han comes out to talk with her. Mm-hmm. You know, she just doesn't know what to do with all of this because she's just been handed essentially a live grenade and said, uh, take care of that and hopefully we can resolve this when I hopefully return. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, and if if you want to know more about how Leia processes the craziness of this information, you should read Princess and the Scoundrel by Beth Revis because <laughs> uh, that novel picks up right after the events of Return of the Jedi and really delves into Leia trying to process. Uh, she, I mean, she's not struggling to process that Luke is her brother, really. She's very joyous about that, but really struggling to process what it means that Darth Vader is her father. Um, and the fact that she has the force. Yes. Yeah. And I think even so. in the scene when Leia says to Luke, like your father, I, Carrie acts that very, very wonderfully. Like there's this look of revulsion on her face, Yeah, right? That Darth Vader could be anybody's father is, is appalling to mm-hmm. her because he's a monster. And, and not, not just the fact that he could be anybody's father, but the fact that he could be Luke's father. Yeah. Like yeah. that, that, that can't be right. It doesn't make sense. That's, that's a, you're, this is a cruel joke. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I've always loved that shot of Han coming out as Luke is leaving from Bright Tree Village mm-hmm. on, on the top of our screen and Luke's coming and Han is coming out on the bottom. There's, I mean, it's literally a second, but they almost form this perfect triangle. Like this is our big three as Luke mm-hmm. leaves Han shows up. Um, and I think something that's really precious about that to me is uh, right. Part of what Leia is wallowing right now, I don't even think so much is the truth of like her family identity and the, all this stuff about Vader. But it's just I think there's a genuine fear she's holding on to of like Luke's Luke's probably not coming back because right because in Leia's eyes, Vader is just a monster and Luke surrendering yes. him to surrendering himself to them probably means he's going to be killed. Uh, so Lay, I think that's probably what Lay is holding most of more than anything is just this sadness of like Luke's probably never coming back. But I love that Han shows up because he can provide an anchor to her in that moment. Um, but because she's not ready to talk about it yet, because it's a lot of information to process. Uh, mm-hmm. I've I've always loved this scene where Han is just like you know you talk about a Luke, is that who you could tell <laughs> you know as uh, he walks off like this is. This is every butthead in a relationship who just won't give their partner the time of day to to process things at their own pace. But I love that Han stops immediately, turns around and just says, I'm sorry. And I it just it's a, it, this is one of my favorite Han and Leia moments because she just kind of collapses into him. Hold me. That's all she needs. Just hold me. It's right yeah. now. She's not ready to talk about it. She's not ready to work this out. She just needs to be held. This is. Yeah. And, and, and it's just, it's just, it's just so beautiful. Cause, and even the look on, on Han's face, the way Harrison plays it is there is this look of almost confusion of, he doesn't know what's going on, but understands right. that right now, all he, that's being asked of him is to provide comfort. So that's what he's going to do. Yeah. This is the age old, uh, difference between men and women in a, in an argument or a con, you know, conversation like this. Uh, the men always try to fix it but the women just want to be heard. (laughs) So they just want the comfort. And, and we finally get a point where uh, Han gets it right. Not initially, but in the end, he gets it right here. He's just going to be, he's just there for her, which is all she needs. He doesn't need to fix it right now, but he just needs to be there for her. Mm -hmm. And, and they have a very beautiful moment. Um, 
care. Uh, and it's nice. It's nice that we get to see all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and then we'll, we're going to close out this episode by looking at one of our favorite scenes, Jason, in all of Star Wars, which is the, the Vader and Luke moment. And, uh, to me, this is Luke confronting Vader, right? This is exactly what Yoda and Obi-Wan told him he had to do on Dagobah. And in kind of in, in line with everything Luke has done throughout this, this story is he surrenders himself without weapons first, right? He goes into them, uh, General Skywalker, the negotiator, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? He's, exactly. he's, he's become the Obi-Wan Kenobi of this trilogy. Um, and uh, he he's come into this moment, de- you know, defenseless, throwing himself on the mercy of his father, uh, and and going into it as a Jedi would, you know, to try to have this conversation. Con- con- this is a confrontation. This is him confronting him, and it's him coming to Vader saying, "I know the truth of who you are. I know you're my father, who is Anakin, not this disguise you wear." Um, and and I love that Luke has that courage to to speak that truth to him um you know something jason you have said this for years since we've been doing this podcast that one of your favorite things about the jedi is you know you've kind of always seen them as like these these prophets in the star wars galaxy mm-hmm. um, yes and uh you know as somebody who studies scripture and all of that you know the, the the essential role of a prophet in the story of scripture is to speak truth to power it's to it's to tell people uncomfortable truths and that's luke doing that right in this moment it's, it's a very clear prophetic message to vader hey this thing you pretend to be that's not really who you are and i'm not afraid to tell you that um yeah and 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 this scene is so powerful because vader reveals something that's this tragic truth of anakin skywalker you know uh, as Luke is trying to appeal to the Anakin buried within it, you know, come with me. And he's got his back to Luke. You don't know the power of the dark side. I must obey my master. This is the word of an enslaved person. This is somebody who is right. And this was a conversation. I remember uh, our, our friends over on the Sarlacc pit, Sarlacc pit asked like 15 years ago, probably at this point, but you know, was Darth Vader ever really a Sith Lord or was he just kind of addicted to the dark side? Um, and I, I, I mean, I would almost posit it that, uh, it's it's less that he's addicted as he is enslaved to it. Um, he just doesn't see any other options for himself. Um, that for for Darth Vader, the dark side has laid claim to him. He doesn't know how to be free of it, and that's that's the tragedy, right? I mean, uh, the fact that he grew up as an enslaved person and now continue, now has found himself enslaved once again to the Emperor in particular and the dark side in general. Um, Luke is challenging him to step out of that. And as, as Vader's continually relents in this moment and hands him off, right, to, to, to go to the Emperor, Luke says, uh, you know, then my father is truly dead, which uh, is as many quibbles as I have with the Kenobi series because it is so far from perfect, in my opinion. Um, one of the most brilliant things about it, though, of course, is that beautiful uh, scene between Obi-Wan and, and Vader slash Anakin in their final confrontation when Obi-Wan says, then my friend is truly dead. I feel like Luke saying that to him now even has more power because we know this encounter he had, a you know, over a decade sooner uh, that the truth of who he is like is getting lost to the people that he sort of cared about. Um, so, 
Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we see evidence of that because again, we've talked about this a million times, Jason, but that the, after Luke is carted off and then Vader goes and just kind of, you know, dips his head standing against the railing. Like it is very clear that Luke has gotten through to him. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, he's gotten through, he's shaken Vader to his core, which is a Vader that we have never seen before, you know, uh, an, an uncertain Darth mm. Vader is, is a, an unfamiliar and new sight to us, the audience, uh, because Vader has always seemed to know what he wants or to know what he is supposed to be doing. Um, and at least to, to our eyes as the audience. Um, and, and it is this thing, you're right. It is, this is the confrontation. This is Luke confronting Darth Vader in order to find his father, in order to rescue his father. This is that confrontation. This is, he immediately, immediately launches in. Like you can imagine Luke has, has crafted this conversation to the nth degree in his head. Um, you know, before, for arriving here, um, because he launches immediately into challenging Darth Vader and to try to, to pull out and to encourage and to, to uncover Anakin Skywalker, um, because he doesn't relent, you know, he's, he's compassionate and he's trying to, to appeal to, to the good nature that he's, he can sense within Vader, but it is unrelenting. And he doesn't let up at all until until Vader just closes it off and says, it is too late for me, son. Uh, you know, which is the most defeated I have ever mm. seen or heard Darth Vader be. You know, it, it, it is it is too late for me, son. It's not a statement of fact. It's not a it's not a you you're wasting your time. It is a resignation of defeat. You know, Darth Vader or Anakin does not believe he is capable of Darth Vader does not believe he is capable of being Anakin again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, real, he, he, real quick that just you saying that Jason just makes me think of that scene in rise of Skywalker. When, when Kylo says to Ray, like, you know, you can't go referring to Leia. You can't go back to her just like I can't. Right. This this idea right. that you are a monster, that you are irredeemable. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Exactly. Sorry to exactly. interject, but I just I... no, no, no. You're <laughs> you're you're right. You're right because it, it again it, it it rhymes. It's supposed to do that. Um, no, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's Star Wars. It rhymes. Just get used to it, folks. Um, but no, it, he he believes he's irredeemable, and and Luke at this point. I don't know whether he believes Vader, whether he thinks that there's still hope that that he could turn, but he now has to prepare himself to confront the Emperor. And at this point, you can see all of that confrontation with Vader that up until lightsabers are ignited, Luke does not address Vader. Again, until they start crossing Saber. Mm -hmm. Luke does not address Vader. Now Luke is like, all right, that's done. I have to face the Emperor. 
And now his goal is to defeat the Emperor. So that my father is truly dead is Luke saying, all right, I'm done with the conversation. I tried. I did what I needed to do. Now I have to... I have to defeat the Emperor. He has compartmentalized the tasks now. And he has switched from the most... the what his heart wanted to what his responsibility is. And you kind of see that, that shift start at the very end of the scene when he, when my father is truly dead and he lets himself be carried away by the, the stormtroopers. Um, and I just realized in talking about this, that Luke does not address Vader again until they start crossing sabers. Yeah. It's a very interesting thing. I'm going to have to think about that for next next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I think that'll uh, that'll tie up this this second act of Return of the Jedi. Then, yes, I think it will. Um, it it's been a lot of fun. We had you know some of the biggest deepest scenes in the movie happen in this act, which is part of why it's. Uh, a little bit shorter in terms of the chunk of the movie. Um, but uh, yeah. And of course, next episode, we're going to have just a whole bunch of fun action battle sequences. So it'll go by fairly quick. Uh, <laughs> but there's still some really great stuff yeah. that we get, get to talk about. So um, I'm looking forward to wrapping up this conversation, Carl. I had so much fun uh, talking about it tonight. So uh, I'm really, really glad that we were doing all of this. So, yeah, same here. Same here. Man. But, uh, Carl, if people want to weigh in on anything that we discussed in this episode uh, or want to share any of their other thoughts as they celebrate Return of the Jedi with us this whole month uh, for its 40th anniversary, where can people get in contact with us? Well, we are on Instagram at The Wampus Lair. You can also follow us on Twitter at Wampus Lair, or you can email us at wampuslairpodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Any final thoughts before we close this out? The Emperor will show you the true nature of the Force, Jason. Hmm. You must obey your master. <laughs> All right. Well, that will wrap up, and you must uh, come back for the next episode as we wrap this up. That'll wrap up this episode of the Wampas Lair Podcast. Uh, this has been episode 512, Return of the Jedi, Act 2. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair. Mm-hmm.